listening to episode three of season two of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, The Vulnerable Leader. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. So we decided based on kind of where we both are. Yeah, about our lives right about now. About our lives, that it might be a good segue for us to talk about one of the um, more uh, trendy topics these days in, in leadership thinking. And that's about the idea of vulnerability. And I'm looking at this book, Daring Greatly, by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is is this a woman or? Yes. Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. Her picture's in. Oh, okay. Oh. Got it. Okay. Um, so you've read most of this. Uh, I'm just mm-hmm. looking at it for the first time. What is her definition of vulnerability? Oh. It's a long definition, and yeah. it's um, written out in there. But um, what what I have gathered from it, and just on a one quick first pass read, is that vulnerability it, somewhat is defined by what it's not. I mean, we think of it as laying ourselves open to wounding. Right, mm-hmm. to making it possible for others to wound us. I mean, is like a popular conception about it. And her definition is different than that. Her definition of vulnerability is, in, in many ways, just being authentic. Being clear about the fact that connectedness is important to us. And having boundaries with that. But still, being clear that we want to be connected. That we want to belong. That, um, that we want joy in our lives. Um, and, and just not, not being shy to let that be known, to be seen. That vulnerability is really about allowing ourselves to be seen. And, and that, like anything else, it can be taken too far and you can be seen in you can choose to be seen inappropriately, right, in, in areas that aren't, in places that aren't safe or that never were going to be safe. But there are also ways of being seen a little more clearly in places that actually um, helps and helps other people and helps, helps the situation, which she alludes to more when it comes to leadership. She talks in there about uh, vulnerability in interpersonal relationships, in, in, in parenting, in, in a lot of different contexts, her real message is it all boils down to the same thing. You don't need a separate book on vulnerability in parenting and vulnerability in the boardroom and vulnerability mm-hmm. in the marketplace. It, it's all the same. And, um, and how, you know, there are lots of studies out now that show that organizations where the senior leaders, where the people who are the influencers in the organization are willing to uh, lay open, lay bare their vulnerabilities, 
uh, actually uh, improves market share. Impre I mean, it, 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 it creates conditions for innovation in the organization because it creates permission for people to try stuff. Um, and that when, when leaders are closed to vulnerability, who never show that, uh, is when organizations become very rigid and do not have the kind of creativity and flexible response that they need to do well in today's marketplace. But a lot of it has to do, a lot of, a big portion of what she talks about in the book is that getting to that place where we are able to begin to think about being, becoming vulnerable, showing our vulnerability, um, is, is a path through getting past all the shame that we feel and how endemic shame is mm -hmm. in, our, in our culture. Mm -hmm. And you and I have been talking uh, lately about the, how for us, for each of us in different ways right now, seems to be a more than usually stressful time in our lives. I mean, you know, we both live lives that have maybe a higher degree of stress than a lot of folks, but, but we've, we're both pretty resilient around that. Mm -hmm. But both of us are in a place now where there's even a greater amount of stress than we are used to dealing with, and, and that that is, is impacting us. And one of the ways I know, I'm not gonna speak for you, but one of the ways that I know that it impacts me is this um, is that I feel more it, it pulls on my my sense of shame and uh, and she describes shame as that sensation that of never blank enough never smart enough never successful enough never thin enough never whatever, you know, fill in the blank, not being enough. And the expectation that we are supposed to all, always, all the time, be more than enough. Mm -hmm. in, in across many dimensions, particularly women. And although, she, I shouldn't say that, because she makes a very good case for how men and women uh, very often experience very deep shame and experience it differently, which is which was a fascinating part of that book. Mm. But, um, but you know, and now I'm thinking, you know, I've been um, very engaged in dealing with the thing that is, is stressing me, and I'm feeling like I'm not paying enough attention to the business. I'm not, um, I, you know, there, there's all other ways that I've, I'm not being enough. I'm not staying on top of things enough. I'm not getting back to people fast enough, enough, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I had never really thought about that and, that and how much that sort of magnifies the stress. I mean, the stress in itself is enough. <laughs> you know, it's more than plenty, right? And yet, my sense that I should be adequate to every situation amplifies it, mm. you know, magnifies the stress because it adds this whole other layer of, well, so why am I not also able to do juggle all these other balls while I've got, you know, two chainsaws and a 
Damascus sword in the air, right? right? right. You know, why shouldn't I put in a watermelon and three peaches? You know, I mean, it's just like unrealistic expectations. And and if you have those unrealistic expectations of yourself, yeah. typically you project you them. project those onto other people as well, which means right. that you then expect other people right. to do more and more. Right. Uh, so right. it becomes really a vicious cycle. It becomes a very vicious cycle. And I think there are some you know, there there are lessons here for all kinds of leaders in being able to deal with or recognize and um, get past their shame. I mean, some I think sometimes we can resolve that. But sometimes we just have to recognize it and sort of move on past it and mm -hmm. just say that's that's present. It's real. It's in my life. I can't let it stop me right now. And, you know, and that's, you know, maybe later in a therapy session or something. But for now, things have to move forward. And to get to that place where we know that um, one way through shame is being willing to be vulnerable. So... I, you know, right now I'm in the middle of what I'm in the middle of, so it's hard for me to um, see it as clearly as I would like. But when I look back in the past at other times when I have felt like I had too much on my plate, um, being willing to say to people, you know, I think I just have too much on my plate right now. So I may not get back to you in as timely a manner as mm -hmm. I expected to. Mm -hmm. Or... Um, and, and, you know, that takes the shame and turns it into the vulnerability, right? I, you know, I want to have a good working relationship with you and right now I might not be meeting my own standards around that. And, and being willing to do that, um, you know, what I expect a lot of times to come back is judgment and finger shaking and blame, right? And all, what I get is... Oh, I'm so glad other people have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. More often than not. Mm -hmm. It's like, sure, I understand. I've been in that place too. Right, right, right. And it gives other people permission, like you said, to relax a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and that gives them permission to think creatively, to try new things, all of that. So, you know, I, I'm just thinking about how much this way of being, which is very consistent with the whole movement towards being an authentic leader, right. is it so flies in the face of what most people have been taught is leadership. Right. And in a way, what we expect of people... Uh, who who are who occupy high level leadership? So, I'm I'm just thinking about what's happening in the news right now about General Petraeus. Mm -hmm. To me, the fact that the man had an affair isn't surprising. I mean, for crying out loud, yeah. he's been under the most incredible stress, away from home, 
away from anything that probably gives him any sense of softness or nurturing or whatever right. would be kind of a miracle if he hadn't, you know, done something like that. Yeah. And yet he felt compelled evidently and or his boss felt compelled evidently to have him step down immediately from a job that he's really capable at doing. Right. <laughs> By all accounts. By all accounts. Yeah. Uh, because what was it? That he could be blackmailed or blah 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 I mean, if it were okay for him to be a fallible person and or not even fallible, that implies like yeah. he did something wrong and we, you know, yeah. we we're gonna are going to forgive him. Yeah. But if he was just allowed to be human, right. I mean, really, the only person who has any business caring or forgiving or not forgiving is his wife. Right. The rest of us should have nothing to say about who he does or he doesn't have an affair with. Right. But that is the word hypocrisy still exists in American life and it still exists about how we deal with you know certainly political figures or public figures and for that matter with with people in organizations at higher levels right. um, so I know in Europe that in general they're more progressive about this, but about this, about this, but yeah. not everything. <laughs> right. But what is it about about right. the way we think about leaders that even though intellectually we can understand that they don't need to be perfect and that there is a difference between what somebody does right for their job or their work and what they choose to do in their personal life, there's still something well, there's some, there that's not we, quite... Well, there's, there's a... What you, while you were talking, what I was reminded of was the American kind of hero ethic. And not only heroes, but superheroes. Right? Right. And I... The guy on the white horse who's going to yeah, come in and say... Yeah, who knows everything, can do everything, right? I mean, super, super hero, right? And it occurred to me that maybe a positive trend in all of this is the... There's a whole uh, group of folks that I have read about on the internet and um, connected with who talk about, you know... What's your superpower? <laughs> and which I love because it's saying we aren't all powerful. We each have maybe something that is our superpower that we are really good at, but that doesn't mean we're good at everything. And you know, you're the guy who's good at capturing lightning. I mean, in, in the comic book sense. Right, and I'm the guy who's good at, at melding with water or whatever it might be, right? But in our daily lives, you know, that this question of what's our superpower begs the question, and what is it? You know, and where are we, where do we need to lean on other people's superpowers? Right, where, where do we? Uh, how 
have to form a uh, the the alliance, the X Men alliance, or the you know um, the League of Magnificent Gentlemen, or whatever it is, because none of us can do it alone. And in American culture, I think we have this ongoing thing about we can do it all and we can do it alone. And for women, that you know becomes being the this the superwoman right that that is is a successful career and and fabulous children and a perfectly kept house and and a relationship with her husband that doesn't diminish him and you know i mean it's just like what <laughs> right and men we have the same kind of, you know they have to be they have to be good uh physically fit they have to be uh, women have to adore them, but of course they have to also be sensitive to women's needs, and yet they have to be uh, achievers. And I mean, we set up these extraordinary ideas of what we need other people to be, and then what we think we're supposed to be in response to that. That, you know, when... I think when the level of background stress is kind of normal, we can handle. But when things start getting amped up, it becomes a tidal wave. It becomes overwhelming and paralyzing for some folks. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but I've been in situations where, you know, sitting in an office with um, a leader in an organization where they're just saying to me, you know, I can't say this to anybody else. Right. But I just don't know what the next thing to do is here. Right. And sometimes yeah. even a step further, and I don't know how to figure it out. Right. And or I don't care right now. I'm so stressed I don't even care I about it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. The, the right. emotions have been just amped up to where they just fall out. Which is interesting to me because yeah. I've never been that way in my whole life until now. Oh. And I don't care. Yeah. Um, you know, between my, in one year, my mother dying, having to put my husband in a care facility, and him becoming almost unrecognizable to me. Uh, because he's, you know, his memory is, his short-term memory is so bad um, that yeah. he just can't hold on to anything. Um, and uh, and then your father. my father just dying. And your sister getting divorced. My <laughs> sister getting divorced and all of the... Right. My brother-in-law having essentially gone nutso and so the legal wrangling and the stress that's putting on everyone in the family and now my father's estate and whatever is insanity I am so maxed out I was doing okay right up until my dad died I mean it was very difficult but I was yeah. doing alright now it is so I am so overloaded that I'm just like 
exhausted. And talk about needing to be perfect because it was my husband's birthday this past week. And he's has so little in his life to look forward to. I couldn't not do a birthday party for him. So last night I had some old friends come over and had a birthday party. I didn't really want to make a birthday party. I haven't cleaned my house in months because I've been so busy. So I spent probably two days cleaning because there was, there was paper everywhere and just stuff everywhere. Um, putting away, I hadn't even completely unpacked from coming back from the funeral. So I just had to put, just do all of that so I, I could feel like it, I could have people in my house, right? Yeah. And then run around, get all the stuff for the birthday party, then have people come, and I didn't feel very celebratory. Right. It was exhausting. Right. Now I have to go see clients this afternoon, and I don't care. Yeah. I don't want to do it. Right. You know, years ago, I think, you know, because this whole thing about how change comes into our lives and what it creates in us has been a fascination of mine for a really long time. A number of years ago, I, I developed this kind of metaphor of that each of us has inside of us kind of this uh, change or stress bucket, right? And as long as, you know, and, and, and we have different size ones. You know, some of us have really kind of pretty capacious ones. The other ones are quite small. But, and we're okay with the amount of change or the amount of stress that's going into that bucket. But we all reach a limit. We all get to a place right. where it overflows. Right. Right. And there's one other time in my life when I've been in kind of that space mm -hmm. when there were just so many things going mm -hmm. on and I was just again keeping trying to keep so many balls in the air right that um, yeah I got to that place where I just didn't care and that I was unwilling to let even one other thing in mm -hmm. things as simple as somebody who called me up and say um, we have an appointment next Tuesday can we change it to Thursday I would be like no <laughs> can't accommodate one more difference one more something that causes me to have to rethink right because I am maxed out maxed out with rethinking right. and um, and right. I think you know that that's right. what we're talking about here is how do we as leaders how you know where is the issues of shame and vulnerability and being gentle with ourselves mm -hmm around just how much can we take and at what point and what are our strategies for sort of putting our hand up and saying no more no more please i this is i'm you know the rest is going to have to wait i you know i've put my backlog in priority order and i'm only working on the top 3 right now right and um you know somehow we have to get to that place and, and those are strategies, I think, that we have to develop before we're in it. Because once we're in it, it's too hard. 
right? Or we flail around and maybe find them if we, if we just know. I mean, one of the things I've learned that helps me manage my stress now is, you know, after 60-some years, I'm pretty sure it'll be over. You know, it's not going to go on forever. There is light at the end of the tunnel. I can look forward to the day when this is the things that are stressing me out right now are going to resolve. Mm -hmm. And maybe something new will come in, but I can know that these things, either by just attrition and waiting them out, or by some action that I take, are gonna are we're gonna get through them. And uh, and that helps me. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, everybody has to find those things that kind of help them. I know you were doing some research at one point on resilience. Mm-hmm. A long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another, I mean, another thing that, that um, has been useful to me is that um, I think about my Pilates class as... Uh, not optional, right? You know that that's that that's physically grounding. It's good for you. Um, mm -hmm. It's good for me. It it helps restore some mind body balance. And so even though that would be something that would be tempting to say, well, I don't have time for that right now. I, I've been trying to make that a priority. Even that gets complicated because. My Pilates instructor's mom is dying. Oh, no. She's now passed away. Actually, yeah. the funeral is today. And one of the things that I decided that I was going to do to take care of myself, because I know that Lori will understand, is I'm not going to the funeral. Right. I mean, I know her mom, and I've gotten to be, you know, friendly with her. I went over there the other night before she passed away, and and I feel like, that was that, your goodbye. That was my goodbye, That's and that's enough right now. Because mm -hmm. I really don't want to sit through another funeral. Right. And I really, I don't feel shamed about that, but right. I had to think my way through that, that that's okay to do for myself, to say, right. she'll understand, that's all right. right. Um, so, um, well, I think, you know, <laughs> we're, we've, We've gotten into some really personal territory in this mm -hmm. particular podcast. That is about you know that we that we say is about leadership, but I think these are very relevant issues to leaders, and I think leaders in organizations where things are rapidly changing are are under increased amounts of stress, and. And so I think it's important that we kind of know how we're going to deal with that. So my, uh, my question for our listeners is, you know, what kind of strategies do you use to help you get through the stressful times? When you hit the wall and just say, enough, I, I can't care anymore or I can't do anymore, what is it that you do? Um, because we all still have something that we fall back on there. And how, you know, what are the healthy ways that you've found to deal with that? You know, there, there are lots of unhealthy ways that we know about um, substance abuse and of all kinds and food to everything. But 
what is it what is it that helps you in a good way is it you know do you rely on friends are there particular kinds of people that you rely on are there things that you do are there actions that you take like Sharon and her Pilates what helps you get through the stress maybe we could get some tips from our listeners about how to deal with the stress that we're dealing with right now so um, I'd be interested to hear what what other folks have to say about this yeah but certainly one of the I think most important is to let the people around you know yeah that you may not be at your best right now and and that you're doing the best you can and it may not be perfect right I mean that alone it's not going to be some external standard of best it's just the best you're capable of right now right yeah that alone Right. should be useful and is part of being a real person. Right. Please leave your comments and questions on our blog or email us at leadershippodcast at gmail.com. This has been Episode 3 of Season 2 of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. Thanks for listening.